chapter thirteen of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen the mulrady envelope plans of royal exchange decided on fire at york minster queen shot at by oxford oxford in bedlam scientific agriculture electro-metallurgy embossed envelope sale of louis napoleon's effects on the first of may the post office issued the long-expected postal envelope designed by w mulrady r a and the opinion of the times may be taken as the expression of most people's feelings about it times to may we have been favoured with the sight of one of the new stamp covers and we must say we never beheld anything more ludicrous than the figures or allegorical device by which it is marked with its official character why not add embellished cruikshank could scarcely produce anything so laughable it is apparently a spirited attempt to imitate the hieroglyphic which formed one of the ornaments of moore's almanac britannia is seated in the centre with the lion couchant whiggish at her feet her arms are extended scattering little flying children to some elephants on the left and on the right to a group of gentlemen some of whom at all events are not enclosed in envelopes writing on their knees evidently on account of a paucity of tables there are besides sundry figures who if they were to appear in the streets of london or any of our highways would be liable to the penalties of the vagrant act for indecent exposure under the tableland by which these figures are supported some evidence of a laudable curiosity is depicted by three or four ladies who are represented reading a billy doux or valentine and some little boys evidently learning to spell by the mental exertion which their anxious faces disclose one serious omission we must notice why have those mercuries in red jackets who traverse london and its environs on lame ponies been omitted we must admit that as they have been recently better mounted that is one reason why they should not appear in this government picture but the reader can judge how far this description is borne out as a matter of fact it was so universally disapproved of by the public and was the object of so much ridicule as to necessitate the destruction of nearly all the vast number prepared for issue to do this a machine had to be specially constructed the attempt to do the work by fire in close stoves fear of robbery forbade the use of open ones having absolutely failed they are now somewhat scarce but are extensively forged it was satirized and laughed at by all and a contemporary criticism which has been reproduced in the philatelist volume seven page one forty five is very amusing britannia is sending her messengers forth to the east to the west to the south to the north at her feet is a lion what's taking a nap and a dish-cover rests on her legs and her lap to the left is a mussulman writing a letter his knees form a desk for the want of a better another believer's apparently trying to help him in telling the truth or in lying two slaves neath their burdens seem ready to sink but a sly-looking elephant tips us the wink his brother behind a most corpulent beast just exhibits his face like the moon in a mist 
on each is a gentleman riding a straddle with neat turkey carpets in lieu of a saddle the camels behind seem disposed for a lark the taller's a well-whiskered fierce-looking shark an arab arrayed with a coal-heaver's hat with a friend from the desert is holding a chat the pictures completed by well-tailed chinese a purchasing opium and selling of teas the minister's navy is seen in the rear they long turned their backs on the service tis clear that they now would declare in their typical way that britannia it is who has done it not they a reindeer and laplander cutting through snow the rate of their progress downhill seems to show to the right is the king of the cannibal islands in the same pantaloons that they wear in the highlands some squaws by his side with their infantile varmints and a friend in the front who's forgotten his garments frost william and jones footnote three chartist leaders who were condemned to death on sixteenth january eighteen forty but were never executed and subsequently pardoned End note. frost williams and jones have this moment been hooked and are fixing the day they would choose to be cooked there a planter is giving and watching the tasks of two worthy niggers at work on two casks below to the left as designed by mulrady is sorrow's effect on a very fat lady while joy at good news may be plainly descried in the trio engaged on the opposite side there were very many pictorial satires on this unfortunate wrapper but none bore so near a resemblance to it as the accompanying illustration by john doyle h b sketches twenty six may eighteen forty number six thirty nine lord palmerston as britannia is dispatching mercuries with fire and sword to the east typical of the wars in egypt and china on the other hand he sends a flight of cupids to father matthew the apostle of temperance who was just then doing such good work in ireland whilst a man is knocking the bung out of a whisky barrel beneath this group is o'connell who is roaring out hurrah for repeal to the horror of the duke of wellington who is behind him on the left is lord monteagle late chancellor of the exchequer ill in bed whilst his successor mr baring reads to him the result of his policy post-office deliveries in the quarter two hundred and seventy two thousand pounds total deficiency in the year to be made up by new taxation two million pounds on seven may the gresham committee met to decide on the two plans for the new royal exchange one prepared by mr cockerell r a and the other by mr tite president of the architectural society which was in favour of the latter by thirteen votes to seven the works were immediately proceeded with talking of one fire seems to lead on to another for on twenty may york minster was for the second time visited with a conflagration this time however it was caused accidentally and not the work of an incendiary the following extract from a letter dated york twenty one may gives a graphic account of the fire and is of especial interest as being from the pen of a spectator you may hear the rumour of the alarming and truly awful calamity that has occurred in this city before you receive this i have witnessed it and shall hold the recollection as long as my memory exists 
about twenty minutes to nine last evening i was told the minster was on fire i ran out immediately towards it and stood by it just as the flames had issued from the top part of the southwest tower at a height that an engine could not have played upon the fire continued to rage until it had entire possession of the upper part flames issuing from every window and piercing the roof to describe the feelings under which i witnessed the devouring flames preying upon a national monument which every man must look upon with admiration requires a pen more descriptive than mine grief awe wonder and admiration were the emotions with which i regarded the destruction of this venerable church i soon obtained admission into the nave of the cathedral and observed the first falling down of the burnt embers the flames illumined the interior with more than midday brightness the light pouring through the crevices threw a brilliancy over the scene which imagination cannot paint the fire at this time was wholly confined to the tower after the space of half an hour the flooring of the belfry in the tower began to be forced by the falling bells and lighted beams at this period my nerves were strung to the highest excitement the noise was extraordinary the shouting of the firemen the roaring of the flames rushing up the tower with the rapidity of a furnace draught sounded in the high and arched space awful and terrific the falling masses of wood and bells sounded like the near discharge of artillery and were echoed back from the dark passages whose gloomy shade and hollow responses seemed mourning at the funeral pile that burned so fiercely in one hour the tower was completely gutted and masses of burning timber lay piled against the southwest door the upper and under roof composed principally of fir timber covering the nave as far as the centre tower had by this time become fired and burned with extraordinary rapidity the firemen by a well-managed direction of the water prevented the flames passing through the west windows of the centre tower and continued their exertions at that spot until the whole of the roof had fallen in and lay in the centre of the aisle a sea of fire the west doors had now become nearly burnt through and planks were brought to barricade them and prevent the rushing of air to fan the embers to flame which might have communicated to the organ and thence throughout the whole pile of buildings at one o'clock this morning i again entered the cathedral and then concluded there was no further danger of destruction the tower is standing also the walls and pillars of the nave and beyond that the building i am happy to state is saved the fire is supposed to have originated from a clockmaker who has been for some time past occupied in repairing the clock in the tower who might accidentally have dropped a spark from a candle the repairs in eighteen twenty nine when the cathedral was fired by the fanatic john martin cost sixty five thousand pounds which was raised by subscription and it was estimated that the cost of the present repairs would amount to about twenty thousand pounds i know of no other general topic of conversation in may but in june there was one which set every one in the united kingdom and the whole civilized world a-talking the queen had been shot at a little after six p m the queen and prince albert left buckingham palace for their before-dinner drive and had barely got one-third up constitution hill 
when a young man who had been walking backwards and forwards as the carriage came near and was nearly opposite him turned round and drawing a pistol from his breast fired at the carriage which however went on its way the man then looked back to see whether any person was standing near enough to prevent him and drew another pistol which he discharged at the carriage prince albert ordered the postilions to drive on and they went as far as hyde park corner and thence to the duchess of kent's mansion in belgrave square and after staying there some little time drove to buckingham palace where the queen was received by crowds of her subjects cheering vociferously to say that she was not affected by the incident would not be true but she soon recovered from its effects the person who shot at her was a little undersized boy five foot four inches about eighteen named edward oxford a publican's barman out of work and as satan finds work for idle hands to do this boy must needs buy two pistols bullets powder and caps and begin practising shooting whatever made it enter into his wicked little head to shoot at the queen no one knew but he did and was speedily in the hands of the police he was examined and re-examined and finally tried at the central criminal court on nine july the trial lasting two days the defence was the plea of insanity and as no bullets could be found the jury brought in a verdict of guilty he being at the time insane and in accordance with such verdict the judge sentenced him to be imprisoned during her majesty's pleasure on the day after being shot at the queen and prince albert took their wonted drive in the park amidst the shouts of crowded thousands and the next day she in state received the congratulations of the house of lords and commons the latter having the first audience at two o'clock the state carriage of the speaker entered the court followed by a hundred and nine carriages filled with members of the house of commons never before it was said was the speaker followed by so numerous a cortege on the occasion of presenting an address as soon as the carriages of the commons had left the court the procession of the lords began to enter the barons first then the other peers rising in rank to the royal dukes they wore all their stars and garters and made a brave show we get a glimpse of oxford in prison in a paragraph of the times twenty eighth february eighteen forty three copied from a sunday paper as numberless strange and conflicting rumours have been propagated relative to the treatment experienced by edward oxford in his place of incarceration the curiosity of the visitor on this head was naturally great especially as it is generally understood that those who are favoured with permission to visit bethlehem are not allowed to see oxford this is not however the fact in a compartment of the establishment principally allotted to those who are supposed to have committed heinous crimes in moments of madness edward oxford is confined he is not separated from the other unfortunate persons who reside in that division of the building but is allowed free intercourse with them among his comrades are mr pierce surgeon who shot his wife whilst labouring under a paroxysm of madness produced by jealousy and captain good whose favourite fantasy is the assumption of the attribute of majesty there is in the same division of the establishment a very diminutive man who imagines himself to be lord john russell he amuses himself nearly all day long with knitting 
captain good is fond of smoking and pierce hovers over the fireplace a stove all day oxford diverts himself with drawing and reading he told the visitor who furnished us with this account that he had taught himself to read french with ease during his incarceration but that he was unable to speak the language for want of an opportunity of studying the pronunciation he said that he was terribly tired of his sojourn in bethlehem and that he wished he could obtain his liberty even though he should be placed under surveillance during the remainder of his life the visitor remarked that there was no such thing as surveillance de police in england to which oxford replied that he was perfectly acquainted with that fact and that the condition upon which he thus desired his liberty was rather an imaginary one than a strictly legal and feasible one upon another question being put to him he said he knew he had been placed in bethlehem under an impression that he was mad but that he was really very far from being mad he exhibited some of his drawings which were uncommonly well executed and evinced a natural talent for the art there were a view of abbotsford a horse's head a portrait of the virgin mary and one or two other designs which were really most tastefully sketched and shaded he appeared pleased when complimented on his proficiency in the art of drawing and observed that he was self-taught in manners he is modest civil and unassuming and certainly exhibits not the slightest symptom of insanity we know that medical jurisprudence admits that it is very difficult to determine the exact line of demarcation where sound sense stops and insanity commences but he who has visited a receptacle for the insane will speedily observe the strange state and appearance of the eyes of those whose intellects are unhinged this appearance cannot be mistaken either in lucid or rabid intervals it is still perceptible although of course in a greater or lesser degree now the visitor to bethlehem on the occasion here referred to particularly observed the eyes of all the inmates and those of one only showed not the least not the most remote symptoms of insanity this one individual was edward oxford he appears in his conversation his manners his countenance and his pursuits as sane collected and intelligent as possible of course the deed for which he is now in durance was not touched upon nor was any information relative to that subject sought of the turnkeys or keepers with respect to food oxford is not treated one atom better than his fellow-sufferers the diet of the inmates of the hospital is plentiful and good but no favour is shown to any particular individual with regard either to quality or quantity oxford appears to enjoy very excellent health and he is remarkably clean and neat in his person he was afterwards removed to broadmoor and i have been told although i cannot vouch for the fact that he was liberated some years ago and sent to australia early in july we begin to hear of a higher style of farming than that previously in use as we find the dumfries courier advocating the use of nitrate of soda as a manure but yet are cautious on the subject an extensive trial of it will be necessary before any proper judgment can be pronounced it is as yet unknown whether its effects are lasting and until this is ascertained caution must be used another thing too was just beginning to attract attention 
electrometallurgy true it is that wollaston applied the principle of the voltaic pile to the deposition of one metal upon another in eighteen o one and it was further developed by bessemer eighteen thirty four jacobi and the elkingtons in eighteen thirty eight and spencer in eighteen thirty nine but for practical utility it was still in its infancy and we can see how far it had advanced in the following extract from a german paper munich twenty two july eighteen forty much is at present said in the public papers respecting the imitations of metals reliefs etc by means of a galvanic deposition of copper this art called galvanoplastic first discovered by professor jacobi of st petersburg and brought to greater perfection by mr spencer of liverpool and by professor von cable of munich may justly be classed as one of the most useful of modern inventions and from its great importance its employment in technical operations must soon become general indeed some persons in england perceiving the great influence which this invention is destined to have on manufacturing industry are already applying it to the production of buttons arabesques and various ornaments in copper herr g a muller mechanician of leipzig has recently called attention to the application of galvanoplastic to typography he has however been in some measure anticipated by the experiments made in eighteen thirty nine in rosel's printing office in munich where by following the methods of jacobi and spencer the lines of copper plate were produced in relief woodcuts were also converted into metallic plates which to say nothing of the advantage of the solidity of the metal far exceeded the effect of the most perfect casting the experiments for making stereotype plates in copper have also been successful in short the invention has now reached that stage which must secure for it the attention of all practical men mulrady's postal wrapper having been killed by universal derision in july was produced an envelope with an embossed head of the queen thereon and these could be bought until the close of her reign prince louis napoleon previously to his ill-starred expedition to boulogne had left instructions for his furniture and jewellery to be sold and sold they accordingly were by christian manson on twenty one august and mr bernal and other virtuosi went to the sale to see what napoleonic relics they could pick up among these were two silver cups with the eagle and initial of queen hortense five pounds ten shillings and a casket of camay formerly the property of the empress josephine was divided into twenty-two lots one of which was a pair of earrings the gift of pius the sixth to josephine during the first campaign in italy in seventeen ninety six sold for forty six pounds four shillings and the original marble bust of napoleon when consul dated eighteen o four by canova fetched two hundred and thirty two pounds eleven shillings on twenty eighth august prince albert received the freedom of the city of london and on eleventh september he was made a privy councillor chapter thirteen